Yay! On today's episode of the Writer's Way podcast, we get to hear from Lisa Furland, author and crowdfunding expert. Stick around! Welcome to the Writer's Way podcast, where we celebrate writers who have completed their books and inspire writers who haven't. Join Lori and her guests as they talk about writing, books, and life in between chapters. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Writer's Way podcast here. The beautiful, lovely, talented, smart, intelligent, um, well-known Lisa Furland. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me, Lori. I like it. Um, I think you're most well-known in the children's circles so far for being the crowdfunding expert, but you do have a couple of books already published for adults, and you have one coming out for kids, which is so exciting. You have lots of projects on the go. So why don't you just tell people a little bit about your background and how you came to write and publish in the first place? Sure. So I would say my background is not originally in writing or publishing, as a lot of people understand. Uh, But my background is in public health epidemiology. And that was my life before we moved to Sweden. And then I had a huge career change, huge life change, transformation, everything. And that really served as the inspiration around me for my my first two books, which are anthologies uh, focusing on pregnancy and giving birth in a foreign country, because that's exactly what I was going through at that time. And that's Mm -hmm. what my world was all about. Uh, so I collected stories from other women from around the world and published two anthologies in the Knocked Up Abroad series. Yes, so that, I love that title. <laughs> some people love it, some people hate it, but it's oh really? They yeah, find it like it. Or <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Do you know what that means?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of the point." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the stories ended up being uh, much more emotional and heartfelt than. I anticipated. I really wanted it to be this sort of tongue-in-cheeky kind of hilarious look at the weird situations we find ourselves in when mm-hmm. you're in a foreign country and you don't know the language, and it just gets kind of like you know sketch comedy-ish. If you yeah. if you don't if you're not crying in a ball at home, you can just laugh at yourself. Uh, but you know, dealing with pregnancy and love and loss and all of that, the stories ended up being much more significant and emotional, and so. Yeah, so they've taken on a life of their own, and yeah, they're out there in the world, and people knew me as the knocked up abroad lady for mm-hmm. a long time, um, and now I'm earning reputation for crowdfunding, so. And how did that start? Um, well, it started because I successfully crowdfunded my second book for $10,000, and um, that was really due to the the bulk effort of all the contributors from that book, also writing articles, reaching out to their network, and really leveraging the networks that we all had together. Uh, So that was really fun and exciting, and I learned a lot in that process. And since then, I was asked repeatedly time and time again, oh, can you help me? Oh, how did you do it? Oh, can you do this? Oh, can you do that? And I saw that there really wasn't anyone helping any, any authors. I mean, there's lots of resources out there for gamers and for tech stuff and for comic books, but nothing for children's books, not, definitely nothing for children's books, nothing for authors in general. Mm-hmm. So I was really kind of, uh, you know, saw this space in the market, if you will, for someone who wanted to help authors. And uh, there still isn't really that many people doing this. Um, so yeah, it's me really out there helping, <laughs> helping independent <laughs> authors. And so I, I really want to target 
indie authors, specifically self-publishing authors, and um, children's authors tend to have a larger budget and uh, more needs in terms of needing to fund a book and needing to get a bulk of money for the print run, for the hardcover, uh, to pay for illustrations and things like that. So generally, if you're doing an all-text nonfiction book, it, you don't need to raise that much money, really. Yeah. Um, so you can do it on your own. But the people who really need the help are the ones who are trying to raise, you know, eight to $10,000. So. Okay, uh, so explain to me like I'm five. What yes. is crowdfunding? Crowdfunding is when a lot of people give you a little bit of money uh, to help you reach your goal. Okay. So awesome. it's leveraging a crowd. You have to have a crowd of people. That's the yeah. A lot of people, a little bit of contributions from everybody. And I had a couple of questions. Somebody like emailed me and she was like, you need to ask Lisa that. But one of the big ones was about the crowd size. Like how big does my crowd have to be um, to be successful basically? Like, do I need a following? Do I need to be an influencer? That kind of stuff. You don't need to be an influencer. No, but yes, you do need a following. You, that is the point of the crowd. And a lot of people get their crowd through different ways. Some people have uh, different networks who will support them because they love them as a person. Mm -hmm. And other people have networks of readers who want the book, who want the book that they're putting out, who want the thing that they're doing. So everyone comes with a slightly different mix of an audience. But ideally, we all want to have readers. I mean, that's sort of the point of, of launching it, I would think, is that we all want to have more readers than just people who love us and want to see us succeed. I can't, you know, you're going to, everyone's going to have a little blend of both, uh, but the goal is to build a readership and to, to grow so that the next book you do, you can have buyers from that same group buy your next book and buy your next book. And that those are your loyal fan base that you really build this loyal fan base of people who'll be the first people to leave you reviews, the first people to give you feedback. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of cultivate this sort of, uh, cult like fan base, really. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's what crowdfunding needs. You need these people yeah. who are like, yes, I want what you're doing and I can't wait for it to happen. Okay, so let's say you do have a bit of a following. I actually, when I did mine, I had no following. So I had friends and family and I, I think I was just lucky. But so a common question that I get, is it possible um, if, uh, if you know no one, like is there any point in trying? <laughs> if all your Facebook friends are your actual friends. <laughs> it just takes a lot of effort, I would think. Like, Yeah. I, I Do you want to keep those friendships? I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I think you really need to, you know, this is a business and um, you're building a business and this isn't a donation. And, and that's sort of the difference between um, just really quickly. And I covered this in my, my free course, my free crowdfunding course, the difference between GoFundMe and Kickstarter and Indiegogo and why authors should be using the more business-like platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Uh, because we're not doing donations-based, we're doing a rewards-based system okay. where people are giving money, but then they're getting something in return. So you're, you're delivering them a book, you're delivering them a book, an ebook, whatever it is that you're delivering to them is an actual product. So this is a business. Now you're in a business, you're selling products. And so you have to think about this as a business and who are your customers and who are your, who are your ideal customers? Now, is your ideal customer your Aunt Sally? Maybe if she like runs a preschool and that's who you're selling to, like maybe she's your ideal customer, but, but probably not. So I think we just need to be mindful of, uh, who we're tapping to give us money 
and, and, and try to do it in a way that is uh, beneficial to both parties and not just self-serving, like give me money, give me money, give me money. Yeah. If, if you do have just friends and family, I would keep your goal low yeah. uh, so that you can reach it. And then also like you can't do it again. <laughs> you can't, you can't ask them again in another year. Say, Hey, by the way, like you're not going to, it's not going to be successful. I really like how you're talking about that. You have to reframe how you're thinking about it. And it is a business. And I think a lot of people have to make that switch and it's tricky. Um, somebody else asked, what is the upfront investment? Is a there lot a of time. A lot of time. <laughs> I would say um, it's a lot of time. If you are not graphically skilled at all, you're going to need to invest in someone to help you with your graphics because a good campaign page has graphics on it. So um, your book cover, I would absolutely invest in a book cover and then commission two to three page spreads of illustration. So that will be out of pocket. This is for children's books only. Um, you know, definitely do that. And my own video, I did the video myself. Uh, so I, I didn't hire that out. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't feel comfortable doing a video, again, your video doesn't have to be slick. It just has to be interesting and short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can do a short, no 15 minute videos is what you're saying. Yeah. But everyone's computer these days has a, has a camera on it and everyone's phone has a camera on it. And I, I've seen lots of people just do iPhone videos and yeah. then click together. And, and is yeah. that interesting? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Got I, it. Think I think it's good to also have a prototype in hand. So that might be, you know, printing your cover on a, on a shell of a book, just putting blank pages on the inside if you want. Oh, okay. And you've talked about commissioning a few spreads and having the cover, but really the book shouldn't be done yet. <laughs> it, could <be> done. <laughs> it could be done. It could be almost done. It could be near complete. Um, I think it is good to have a prototype, whether you then revise that as you get funds from the Kickstarter or the Indiegogo campaign is up to you. Um, but yeah, it could okay. be mostly done. Mostly done, but not actually... Um, available for purchase. It could not be available for purchase. Correct. You could not have at all. Um, Kickstarter, it goes against Kickstarter and Indiegogo terms and conditions. You oh. um, crowdfund a product that is already available in the public. Okay. So not worth doing that. This isn't a recoup your cost once it's already no, you can recoup your costs, but just don't hit publish on okay. Amazon. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. I had another funny question. I think you've already answered it, but it's, if you hate crowds, can you be successful at crowds? <laughs> oh, go <laughs> oh, get a bank loan or something else. I mean, uh, there, there are ways that you can do crowdfunding like stuff without doing the crowd if you don't want to. So, I mean, uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it's time sensitive, it's transparent. So you have to be very clear with what your goal is and then where you are in reaching your goal. A lot of people don't want to make that information public. Oh. But if you wanted to do it without the platform, you could do that. You could just run sales on your website and do pre-orders that way and say, my book is available for pre-order. Do the little fundraising thermometer. We want to sell this many copies by this date and then have people work towards that goal. You could oh, do that too. Lots of options depending on your comfort level. So you exactly. mentioned your free course. That sounds like an excellent resource that I think a lot of people would like to get in on. So um, if you can share that info and then I'll also post the links, of course, when this goes out. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Just tell us now and then 
for people who are waiting? What do you, yeah. Yeah, so the free course is all about how, uh, what the different types of crowdfunding are, what, uh, what everything is, and then how authors are using it to successfully grow and engage with their audience. Perfect. Perfect. That sounds like something I could have used a few years ago. Like, <laughs> I know. I could have used it too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I know. I'm, I, sorry. I'm trying to create all these resources that didn't exist when I was crowdfunding yeah. and all the things that I wish someone had told me. And it just, yeah. And so you, you had the two knocked up abroad books first. And so yes. they're available, published, selling. And then what inspired you to do the children's book? Oh, we had a little. Well, I've, I've been wanting to do a children's book. A little, I've been wanting to do a children's book for a long time. Um, and so I've just been kind of rolling around ideas in my head and just nothing ever struck. Like the ideas just stayed in a notebook. And then, yeah, just this, this book just totally came out of a conversation with my son and we kind of wrote it together in a way. And then I got it edited and then it just, it just, every, all the pieces fell into place in a way that just helped it go along. And it was still a seven month process, but, um, oh. it was definitely, it, to me, it all fell into place rather, rather easily. Yeah. So. Well, and compared yeah. to, to traditional publishing, that's, <laughs> that's a quick <laughs> turnaround. So what take, what took the bulk of that seven months? Um, I would say, I would say like finding the, I, I really wanted to research exactly how to do it, how to do it well, finding an illustrator who I could trust and who understood my vision and, um, yeah, getting the edits down. I think the, because it is rhyming and a meter, I really wanted to make sure that I, you know, kept stay true to the story, but did it in a way that was technically correct. And there was always a balance between being being technically correct and being good. <laughs> like it can be technically correct and still not be good. So <laughs> I was I was dancing on that line for a while and working on other manuscripts at the time. And so it just yeah. it was just really a lack of focus on my on my part for it taking so long. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of people want to know how to find an illustrator. It's a big stumbling block for like the majority, I think, of children's writers. So how did you find yours? She actually contacted me. So I know. <laughs> That's <But> ideal. <laughs> I have, I know. Well, it was not, not about the book at all. So a lot of the work that I do and the, the collaborations I end up having are, are based on conversations I have about other things. So she contacted me because her author was doing a Kickstarter campaign and she was looking for some tips and she wanted some advice. And so I kept talking with her via Insta or um, the Facebook Messenger and we developed a relationship over time. We're kind of in the same time zone. She lives in Malaysia and I'm in Sweden. So our days were, weren't that far apart time-wise. And we just kind of developed a relationship over a few months. Yeah. And um, my first illustrative relationship with that illustrator fell apart because I think it was a scam on Fiverr. So oh. that got dissolved. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was one of those where you're like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, and, and that's the hard part is that you know, you, you can go through these sort of rounds with people and you think you're making progress and then nothing happens and you take your money. Um, but so I already had this relationship with her and I was like, you know, why don't, why don't we just give this a try? And she's like, well, I knew, and I don't know about this. I'm like, let's oh, just try. Like yeah. I knew too. This is also my first yeah. book. Like let's give yeah. it a try. So, um, it was, it was a good learning process for both of us. And I think that, you know, the, my first time working with an illustrator, 
and uh, now I now we understand how to work together and when to check in and how to deliver feedback and um, <laughs> there could be a whole course on that right <laughs> how to deliver I feedback like to an artist. <laughs> yeah yeah no but it's it's yeah. really good and uh, yeah so I I would highly recommend trying to develop a relationship and. Uh, this might be difficult depending on who the illustrator is and who you are as a person if you just gel but I, I have found that when you gel with the people you work with it's so much easier to get the work done and so much more enjoyable for both of you. Yeah. You know? And then if you're not like you don't have to be so hyper aware of how you're delivering feedback or talking yeah. if they get you and they know that it's not coming from a place of you know criticism necessarily it's coming from right. a place of I don't know how better to say this like <laughs> I definitely have issues with that I have no filter <laughs> Yeah, like let's try not. Let's try tweaking this a little. <laughs> let's try not. But yeah, yeah, let's try something else. <laughs> but do you have another um, uh, book in the works with this illustrator? Or yes, I have two more books in the works. But I need to get my butt in gear because she's waiting on my manuscript. <laughs> so it's oh. my fault. Um, yes, I again, it's the rhyming and the meter thing. It's tough, and I'm just dragging my feet because it's tough. I'm aware. Yeah. I just need to do it. Uh, but yes, uh, Christmas and then another possible non-seasonal non book. Okay. So you haven't said anything about the first one. So why don't you tell people about the first the one? The first one is, uh, it's called When the Clock Strikes on Halloween. And it's all about, yes, a Halloween book in May is a weird, weird thing. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it works. <laughs> yes. You have to get the book done before the holiday. So it takes, takes time. Uh, yes. It was it's so much fun and uh, a really fun book to write, really cute illustrations. And I think she did a great job between keeping it kind of spooky, but not scary, which is a, a tough line that I didn't even know till we were done with the book that she's never celebrated Halloween. So she had no oh. reference for this. So it was just really based on our conversation. Oh. That would what, be, <laughs> that would be really interesting. Even like processing the concept of yeah. dressing yeah. up and asking like, for, <laughs> for candy. And do they yeah. do it in Sweden? Do they have a Halloween in Sweden? Well, it's, it's starting to become a bigger holiday in Sweden. Yes. Okay, but, it but it's still very scary. Like it's not like in, yeah, no, before it, I, I would say it's maybe like 10 years old or so oh. as a holiday. Oh, interesting. Okay. You're a little frozen. Oh. So it's very sort of classic. Oh, am I frozen? Okay, am I back? You're back now. <laughs> it's very sort of, okay. it's very sort of classic, scary ghost witch pumpkin okay. Halloween. So girls don't dress up as princesses. They don't, men don't, boys don't dress up as Spider-Man. Like it's kind of hasn't gotten to that phase yet. Oh, interesting. And then it, is it not a thing in Malaysia? No, I guess not. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why are people doing that? I don't understand. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Costumes are fun. <laughs> yeah. Costumes are fun. Why not? Costumes are fun. Yeah. Fun costumes. Yeah. Cool. In Canada, I, well, I'm in Canada. And so I was, you know, when I was a kid, it was the snowsuit and then the costume, right? Yeah. I don't know where you grew up, but yeah, good times. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then after the Halloween book, you're coming out with a Christmas seasonal book. Christmas will yeah. be about time or? Yes. It'll have the same, the same concept of uh, introducing kids to how to tell analog time. And, uh, but I need to... I have to switch up the rhymes because 
only so many things rhyme with five and six and seven. So I have to switch it up and change the format a little bit in order to keep it versatile. Otherwise I'm going to be stuck saying the same, the same line. Right. Yeah. Two is easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is so important, analog time. I mean, seriously, what has happened? <laughs> I, we, we're losing it. We're totally losing analog time. Yeah. And our kids don't understand it. Our kids can't read analog time at all. And um, yeah, just the concept. And if your kids can't read analog time, they have a much harder time, harder time processing and understanding time management. And so it's, it really, like, these are skills that we have. I mean, some adults struggle with time management and they do know how to tell time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but really, I mean, these are essential skills that build on other essential skills that we need to have as adults. So it is important to teach. That we never think about really, because yeah. we just have always had it. And so we always know, and we know the five minute increments and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And seeing the time go by. That's yeah. why visual, visual timers are so good for kids who have, who struggle, right? Exactly. We have one of those in our house. <laughs> we use it a lot. Yes, we have some struggles. Uh, so what's the timeline for the Christmas book? Is that going to be Christmas 2019? Yes. Yes, that's the goal. Okay. And will you be crowdfunding that one? No. Okay. <laughs> no. You're done. I'm done. I'm done. One campaign. Uh, yeah, no, the goal for the Halloween one was, again, to generate enough momentum to get me uh, an audience, sort of a seed audience for the next two in the book, in the series. Oh, so not. hopefully, hopefully, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. You're taking this approach of you're marketing it before it's even created. And, you know, I would say 99% of people create and write, and then how in the heck am I going to sell it? So this is like brilliant marketing it on the front end as you start all the way through generating all these things, but you really have to know what you're doing. Like, what do you do with the people? What do you do with right? The people who supported you really have to have a plan in place. Oh yeah. Do I you mean, go with that, like with the, you know, yeah. after the Kickstarter, <laughs> what happens after the Kickstarter? Yes. Yeah. So you have all these people who supported you and I mean, you have to, you have to have people beforehand and then you have more, hopefully more people after. And so the whole idea is that you educate them before you launch on exactly what to expect during the, the campaign, how they can support you everything, what's involved, why you're doing it. And so you have, there's a ton of education that you have to do with your audience before you launch. And then you launch and then there's different marketing messages you send during the campaign. And then after the campaign, of course, you need to keep them warm and updated and give them sneak peeks. I think the behind the scenes look is really why they supported your campaign in the first place is because they, they want to support you and see what's going on. So I think all those behind the scenes access, like, oh, vote on my next book cover, or uh, what do you think of these illustrations, or here's, you know, help me decide my next title. All, all of that is really good access to give to those backers and give them something special to, to stay involved with you, because they are your first supporters, and they supported you before your book existed. So uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's nice to keep that relationship going and keep engaging with them in new and different ways, because you have access to their emails. When you sell books on Amazon, you have no idea who those people are. They, they buy your book and they're just, they're gone. You can't reach them again. So you have to do something special with the people who you, you can touch over and over again. You will be a phenomenal resource for so many people because this is brand new stuff. Like you said, this is, hasn't been out there. 
for authors. So I really yeah. hope people reach out. That's fantastic. Oh, good. Um, I had a question and now it's gone. <laughs> of, course. of course. Oh, I know what it was. Um, do you know, uh, like kind of percentage wise, like how many people you already knew and were in your sort of circle, your social circle maybe, versus bloggers, influencers, people that you hadn't known? Like, do you know how many just for people trying to yes. think? Yeah. I do. And I, I'm sure it's different for every campaign. So take my okay. numbers with a grain of salt. Okay. Um, and it also depends on what your goals are and how you run your campaign. So if I ran my campaign, just pinging my friends and family, you're going to see more friends and family on your list. Um, but I, I spent more time trying to build my list before launching of people who I maybe didn't know. And so I went through my backer list. I had 190 people, uh, which is great. And I actually counted up how, like kind of put a check mark if I recognize their name at all. So if I saw them in a Facebook group or if I saw them, if I know them personally, um, but any type of recognition and I knew 60%. And so that meant that 40% were brand, brand, brand new strangers wow. to me, which is pretty good. That's a lot. And then that was, I was happy with that. Yeah. And then um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo would tell you where your backers come from. Yeah. So they tell you kind of not exactly where they come from, but what platform kind of in general. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had, I had 20% come from the Kickstarter platform itself. Now that could include someone searching the platform, which is why it's important to have um, a title that people can remember and then search because they may be like, oh wait, that's on Kickstarter. What was the name of it? And they'll, they'll search by your name or they'll search by the title. And so it's important to SEO, <laughs> SEO your own book title on the platform. Um, but it's true. And uh, so I don't know if those are people who knew me personally or if they came from the Kickstarter platform right. itself. It's, it's impossible to, to know, but 20% came from Kickstarter, which again, it's nice, but I wouldn't say it's a significant number. Like you can't rely on Kickstarter traffic to fund your campaign. You have to bring the traffic. So when you are asking me about crowd, mm -hmm. you are bringing the crowd to the platform. And then you, you really have to look at who, whatever strangers are on the platform as like, the cherry okay. on top, like just yeah. sprinkle. Like it's yeah. not the frosting. Like you have to do all the work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's what, like, I guess, um, the person who asked that question, it depends on what kind of crowd you mean, you know, like a real life crowd feels a lot different than behind your computer in your mudroom talking to the people, you know, through your computer. So yeah. it depends on your comfort level, but, um, that is great information. And you wrote an article sort of breaking down how your, how your campaign went. Is it okay if I share that with people? Yeah. Well? Okay. Because yeah, absolutely. went into great details and yeah. resources. And that was really more, that was as much for me as for anybody else, because I, I do want to analyze what worked and what didn't work. And since I do help so many other authors do this, I've seen it all work. Like I've seen every possible scenario work and I'm like, but I've also seen other things fail. So I'm like, Oh, what should I do? Yes. So I had, <laughs> I had a little bit of analysis paralysis in the beginning, planning my own campaign, just because I've seen so many things work. Should I set a low goal? Should I set a high goal? Should I reach out to influencers? Oh, oh, back to the, what was the breakdown of influencers? I only had like 3% of people come from influencer traffic. Oh. So I would not put a lot of stock in influencer right. traffic. It's like but the influencers, people have to know you or somehow want to. It's still cold traffic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you really have to 
either reach a ton of people via influencers, like be published in the Atlantic or the Guardian or some really high, like something that has a huge, huge audience in order to, to get the 3% cold traffic conversion rate to mean something um, or just skip it. Like I, I kind of didn't put too much effort into it because I wasn't seeing the return. So when, when you're halfway through your campaign, you're looking for more and more people to share, you have to go back to your own audience and really work, work the people who you you've already warmed up this entire time and connect with them again. That makes sense. That's what I would recommend anyway. <laughs> Is there a common thread that you've noticed helping all the people? Is there a common thread that equals success? Like you said, all the, it's like different books, right? All different books can be successful and then some wacky thing will, you know, it won't be successful, but is there a commonality that you've seen or could put your finger on or? I would say, um, I don't know. I think it really, it really helps if your audience knows what Kickstarter is before you launch your Kickstarter. Right. That was like the number one. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was the number one thing all of uh, my authors said to me was that they were shocked at how many emails went ignored by their friends and family. And so they were like, I sent you five emails on this. Why? Huh? How? I already answered this question. It's like, people aren't reading the emails, not opening the emails or not understanding that like whatever it is, they're just not getting it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a ton, you have to do a ton of education before you launch mm-hmm. saying what the platform is, how it works. A lot of people don't understand that it's all or nothing. A lot of people think you're begging for money and you're like, no, you're going to get something out of it. I mean, it's just like, there's a lot of misconceptions that you have to uh, overcome in order to, to get them to take out their credit card and, and put it on. Even my own, my own Nana, she's like, I can just get this on Amazon later. And I'm like, yeah, no. okay, prime shipping. <laughs> I know. It's like, okay, Nana, it's fine. But it just goes to show you like, like if you have an older audience who doesn't already have a Kickstarter account, they're not going to create another account to buy your book. Yeah. And if they're savvy enough to know about Amazon and fast free shipping, then they might not want to wait six months or however many months. Yeah. She's like, I'll just wait a few months. (laughs) That's so funny. I've noticed because I'm friends with quite a few authors. And so lots, it seems like lately have been running campaigns and there's some that seem to be working at like a full-time job, full-time and a half, and, you know, putting in a lot of hours every day. So does that, that must factor into the success, the time and effort and energy. No, really? (laughs) You could put in 80 hours a week and still not see the needle move. I mean, it's really tough. Like, um, I, unfortunately there's really no rhyme or reason. Like I, I did a ton of work before, and a ton, ton, ton. And it was, as soon as my campaign had a hundred percent, it dead dropped. Like I could not convince people to keep <laughs> pledging. And I was like, this is the best deal. I'm giving you four things for $15. Like, come on. And oh. they just weren't motivated. You know, they just weren't motivated to do it. They're like, well, you have your goal. It's fine. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I didn't feel right pushing it because it was, I did reach my goal. So it's, again, it's one of those things that it's really hard to, to know and um, there were days when I put in tons of work and I reached out to 20 people, 20 new people reached out. Oh, blah, blah. Okay, I'm sowing all these seeds, I'm planting all these seeds. And then there were days when I did nothing and I would get five backers. So it's just like, I don't know, like some days you work super hard and you see no result and other days you do nothing and you get a ton mm-hmm. of backers. So it's just kind of who's paying attention that day. Um, you never know what people are seeing. 
and you never know when they finally open your email. So just keep, you just, you can't ever stop. You can't ever sit on it. You can't ever not work it because the, the, the seeds you plant on Tuesday may flower on Friday when you're sleeping and you just never know. And I was also working with a time zone difference where almost all my backers were in the U S and I'm in Sweden. So I worked from 6 AM to noon. I was working for six hours before anyone even woke up, you know? So it's like, no one's responding to my emails. No one's checking their, their phones. And I'm like, well, I just put in a full day of work almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, have seen zero traffic to the campaign. So it's, it, it can get a little disheartening with how much work you do put into it if you're not yeah. seeing the results. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Do you feel like personality type? Like I've seen a couple of different personality types from really outgoing and um, extroverted to not so much. Does that make a difference? It might because if you're not, I mean, you could be doing a lot behind the scenes that people just don't see. Yeah. Um, so a lot of um, campaigns I've seen authors succeed, they did everything via email, via personal messaging, via email, all, all that. So they didn't have a social media presence really at all. Oh, okay. Um, that'll, so make, it, that'll make people feel better. <laughs> right? Yeah, so you, yeah. you can totally do it. Um, you don't have to be this outgoing super, you just have to have people, you just have to educate those people via email, follow up, make phone calls, make those personal connections, be personal. And one-on-one, um, one, one at a time. Exactly, yeah. I did so many one-on-one -on -one emails. Oh, good for you. <laughs> and now you get a break, I hope. Yeah, you, that's what I meant to do. So you have these courses and then you have two more books in the work. <laughs> like, do you find that your, um, your courses teaching people about crowdfunding is taking over the writing and the books? Well, that was why I had to, I had to pause taking on clients because it's, my course is fine. It's the one-on-one -on -one client work that takes all my time. Okay. Um, and so working one-on-one -on -one with people is, is awesome. Love it but then I have no time to work on my creative work myself. And I'm, you, you know the struggle as well. Yeah. And so I actually had to book myself. I had to write myself into my calendar and say, I am hiring myself <laughs> to do my book. My rate. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way to do it though. Like write it yeah. down, put it in the schedule. Yeah, write it down, block yourself off. Say, I can't take any more clients um, for the next month. I have to focus on my book for the next month and do that uh, because I don't have, I'm a team of one. I know you have, you have VAs and helpers and um, I'm not at that stage yet, but I think that is the next stage for scalability yeah. in terms of really being able to serve more people. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, there, there's always a balance between your creative work and your service providing work. Oh yeah, it's a really hard balance. So yeah. hard, I have one assistant <laughs> and it's like, I need a team. But that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, are you familiar with the book Deep Work? No. The author is, but he's, so I've been pondering, I've been reading it slowly because it's deep, but um, he talks about like a really successful professor as an example. He has a few examples, but this professor takes one semester and only teaches and puts all of his attention into the teaching. And then the next semester, all into research and writing. Mm -hmm writing papers and things like that. And so he's been super successful because he's going really deep on one thing at a time, you know, like for three months at a time. And so I struggle with like being scattered. So you right. might as well, it sounds like you maybe are a little bit more organized than I am. But um, so I've been thinking about that because even to get a book out, I, I have to drag my attention and then I feel like I'm really surface with it. And so I've been considering like writing all the books at once. <laughs> 
right? And doing all the resources at once and doing all the illustrations and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like as authors, especially indie authors, we wear so many hats. Yeah. Um, and, and that it might be a way to go. And so I've kind of been turning my thinking a little bit to how can I make that happen? That's like, really great. It's hard because when people want to work with you one-on-one, you can't, well, I can work with you September to December. Or I don't know if that would work, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that would work. I know. And that's what, because I, I did turn, I didn't turn people away. I turned people to a wait list. And I said, um, you know, I'm not taking one-on-one clients right now. If you're still like, sign up on a wait list and I'll get back to you when I'm available. And everyone was still available. So you just, you oh, never know. Okay. Yeah. Like I was afraid, oh, taking time out for a month, I would lose people. Yeah. But I think if people really want to work with you. They'll they'll no. make the time to work with yeah. yeah. As long as you're not saying, I'll, I'll get back to you next year. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I have some time in 2020, mid 2020. Yeah. I have some time. Yeah. yeah, but that's good. I think batching your work is a really smart way to do it so that you mm-hmm. just stay focused. And then when you're in the zone, you can just keep you staying can go in the zone. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Batching. That's what I get better at. Yep. Okay. So can you leave us with uh, one piece of advice um, for children's writers? And then maybe one piece of advice for people interested in crowdfunding. Oh, for children's writers. Oh, geez. Well, I'm new to it myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what have you I learned don't... along the way? Like, I guess you're, you're so, like, multi-passionate. You have so many talents. But just about books, is there anything for authors specifically? Um, I would say to get as much feedback on your story as possible mm-hmm. before finishing it. <laughs> yeah. And then before be, you hit publish, be willing to accept it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I think before we, we hold it so close to our, to, to the vest and we don't show anyone and we're like, no, no, I don't want you to steal it. And really like the feedback I've gotten has been amazing and it's made it better and it's made it so much stronger. And so mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, go to your readers, share it with kids. If you're a children's book, author. I mean, like really read it to them, get their, their feedback and their view because their insights and their interpretation of what you're writing, even if you're super close to the source and if you have kids in your home, like different kids interpret things differently. And so it's really just good to get as much feedback as possible. And then they get excited about it and then they feel invested in your book and you've just, you know, you have this loyal fan base from the ground up and you're inspiring them to write. I mean, it's just, it's so rewarding to share your story with kids before you publish it. I mean, it's just like, it's such a win-win win. It feels like stealing because they're doing so much work for you. <laughs> I do that. I'm like, okay, slow down, slow down. What was that? What was Wait, that again? Just pretend I'm not here, but slow down. I should do it more high tech in this video though. All that. It's my own kids. It's not, it's not weird. Videoing other people's kids. It's so true though. I'm working with somebody right now and he was a little bit down because he said I, I had kids read it and it, <laughs> Like they didn't like it. They walked away and they, you know, but, but that's the best kind of feedback because yeah. you're not ready. And, and children's books are so expensive to produce. Don't you want to know before you invest seven to $10,000? Don't you want to know that this isn't going to work, that the story doesn't work because so many bad stories hide behind really good illustrations. Yes. And the best books have both. You need to have a good story and good illustrations. Like the illustrations can't do all the heavy lifting for you. Mm-hmm. We're the writers. We're supposed to be writing good stories. We're not mm-hmm. supposed to just write a mediocre story and let the illustrations keep their attention. Like, right. That's my other. Oh, <laughs> okay. A uh, uh, big parting piece of advice for crowdfunders or people wanting to do crowdfunding. 
talk to you. That's my advice. Take Lisa's course, get to know her. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, happy, happy to answer questions. I would say research, 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 research. And you could never be prepared enough for what's going to happen. So I think at some point, um, you know, back campaigns at a dollar level, if you want, just whatever, just invest a little bit of money in other campaigns to see the process, to experience the psychology of what it is to be a backer of a campaign, mm -hmm. to follow along someone else's project, um, because that's what you're going to be asking people to do for you. Mm, so, smart. so you have to research, do your market research, understand what's going on and um, be a backer yourself. So you can say, okay, I would spend money on this, or I definitely would not spend money on this. And why? Because that's going to inform how you're going to set up your reward levels and uh, how you interact with, with people on, when your campaign. So it, it's really important to do that work and to, it's just a small investment. I probably spent $30 backing other people's projects before launching my own. That's Since then, I've spent thousands yeah. of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Another story. laughs> Buy all the books. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. That is so smart. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Uh, my website, lisaferland.com. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll have the links and I'll include the links to your course. And thank you so much for coming thank and sharing you. them with everybody, with all my, all my audience, <laughs> all 10 of them. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Thousands. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thanks, Lori. You're welcome. Bye, Lisa. Bye. You've been listening to the Writer's Way podcast. For show notes, links to guests' information, and to learn more about the Writer's Way, check out loririder.com. Until next week, enjoy this chapter of your life.